0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit
2: www.rt11.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
3: Eating Matters is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit, member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep HRN alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now. Hi, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the wonderful world of chocolate. We will learn the difference between fine and conventional chocolate, why it's important to support the fine chocolate industry, and what advocates are doing to ensure endangered varietals do not become extinct. Later on the show, we'll be joined by Franklin Becker, co-founder and head of culinary at Hungry Root, our featured startup of the week. But before we get into our discussion on chocolate, I want to briefly discuss some of the biggest food policy stories in the past week. And I am so pleased to uh, welcome my associate producer, Taylor Lanzette, into the studio to help me do so. Hi, Taylor. Hi, Jenna. Excited that you're back,
4: you know. Just can't stay away. Can't stay away. (laughs) All right. So, so what's going on? Um, So, for those of you that geek out on GMOs as much as Jenna and I, um, you (laughs) shaking my head on that one. (laughs) You know that July 1st um, it's pretty much been the day that everyone's been waiting for. Uh, So this Friday, Vermont's GMO labeling law is officially going into effect, and uh, this is a pretty big deal because. Vermont was the first state to pass a law requiring food companies to label GMOs on their products. Without a trigger clause. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, And obviously it hasn't received a very warm welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, but, you know, just like, days away, uh, Senate is trying to essentially get a law signed that would ease the burden of the Vermont, uh, the Vermont legislation. And so the bipartisan deal put together by the Senate Ag Committee would override the Vermont law and allow food companies to have the option of disclosing GMOs on their products.
3: So, like, So no direct labeling or mention of
4: GMOs on the actual product right so their bill pretty much says there are three options the first one is direct labeling on the product which Mm -hmm. no one's going to choose (laughs) Um, the second is a usda created uh label like Mm -hmm. a like a emblem and then the third is a qr code which pretty much is says put the power into the consumer's hands
3: um okay all right so i don't know i mean (laughs) We've talked about GMOs a lot on this show. Everyone's been sort of watching this um, unfold over the past year plus. I'm a little bit, in the words of a morning ag um, update that I read recently, in quoting Sam Cass, "I'm GMO over it." <laughs> well <Mwah>. done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So, so what? So there's
4: very little chance this is. Gonna- yeah. I mean, there's two days for this to happen, you know, and then they go on recess and vacation. Um, Vacation, vacation. So it's like down to the wire a little bit. All right, so we'll see. Um, In other labeling news, Walmart has turned to its suppliers uh, of their private label line, which is great value, Mm -hmm. and they're pretty much saying you need to comply to a more standardized dating system. So suppliers have until the end of July, which is pretty fast, to display... Mm Non perishable items with the same best if used by um, line and then followed by the date?
3: Well, so I'm like super excited about this announcement um, because we waste 40% of the food uh, that's produced in this country, mm-hmm. which is about wh- how, how much does that equate to? 30 billion. It's a lot, a lot of money, a lot of wasted food, and because there is no standardized system at the federal level, I think this is like I think it's an opportunity for Walmart to actually make a big difference um, in this
4: space. Yeah, currently the only uh, federally regulated date is on baby food.
3: I know it's 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 incredible. So I think that they can really we'll see if they if this actually encourages other companies and then eventually the feds to uh, do a standardized system. So you don't often probably hear this on um, this network very. Very often, but I'm going to go ahead and say, it. I'm going to say, yay, Walmart. Yay, Walmart. <laughs> yay, Walmart.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Heard it here on Eating Matters. <laughs> uh, so, uh, another announcement on Monday was that uh, Purdue said that they're going to pay their 2,000 plus growers to improve their chicken houses to some state of the art uh, sort of improvements, including windows, <laughs> uh, perches, more room for just general walking. Mm-hmm. Um, putting chickens to sleep before slaughter um, and some breeding changes that would essentially slow their growth um, because it's pretty common for leg injuries um, with how fast they grow. Um, So these are pretty sweeping changes.
3: Yeah. Like a really good thing.
4: Yeah. Um, 2000 plus growers is a lot of sort of, you need a lot of oversight there. Mm -hmm. I personally think that this might be, um, It's great that they went out and went ahead and said they were going to do it. You're waiting to see what happens. I'm waiting to see what happens. I don't necessarily think that uh, they're going to sort of walk the walk. Or the skeptic.
3: (laughs) But they're putting it out there, they're and you know we're in a world of pretty radical transparency now. So in terms of like producer consumer, so absolutely, and there's I mean, hoping.
4: There's hope, and also if Purdue's doing it, there's a chance that others will follow. Right, right. So okay, all right. What else? What else you got for us? Well, um, our favorite topic, mm-hmm. SNAP. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, so Republican Maine Governor Paul LePage proposed a pilot program to the Department of Ag, uh, and he pretty much wanted to restrict SNAP usage for Maine residents and prevent them from buying junk food and soft drinks with their benefits. Mm -hmm. And the federal government rejected his application, and LePage now is threatening to withdraw SNAP from Maine. Um, And for context, this is the first time a state has ever threatened to withdraw SNAP from the state. Right.
3: Yeah. Okay. So... Here, here are my thoughts on this one when I read it. Um I was kind of going through, reading you know, reading the news about it, and I thought, like, you know, we know that I'm a big proponent of proposals like this one that would focus um, the use of staff benefits on healthy foods. Um, and, right. and and particularly, you know, I am a fan of proposals that find ways to do, do so with the express intent of increasing the purchase of fruits and vegetables. So mm-hmm. that, you know, that was my first thought. That's a my, plus. Yeah, that's a plus. My second thought was... Um, kind of a bummer that this came from LePage um, because he is seems to be kind of a total creep. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about the John Oliver segment where he basically took him to task for all of the outlandish and racist things that he said. So mm-hmm. that that would be a, it's a negative. Yeah, I would say that would be
4: required proposal. recommended viewing yes. for all of our listeners.
3: Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent, John Oliver, amazing and his segment on LePage and some of the spectacularly. Horrible, offensive things that he said. Um, and then, speaking of him being a creep, uh, <laughs> the third, my third thought with this, this is: I am most certainly not, 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 not in support of any changes to this program under the threat of cutting benefits for SNAP recipients that, to me, is like, it's beyond the pale, and it's unacceptable, and it is not the way to move this kind of
4: proposal forward. Yeah, And the key thing, too, is that SNAP is a federally regulated program, but it's administered by the state. So Mm -hmm. the state still have a lot of say in things like this. Mm -hmm. And if his proposal went through, it would reduce or take away the benefits of 200,000 residents of Maine. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Unacceptable. All right. Those are, my, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Good. And um, the last thing is uh, just sort of uh, to remind everyone about glyphosate, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Gina McCarthy uh, announced that the EPA will release their final review of glyphosate um, this fall. And when we talked about it earlier, you know, just as a reminder, it's a really prominent weed killer in herbicides. But it's under major heat from environmentalists and consumer groups because it may be linked to cancer. Which
3: probably means that it's probably linked to cancer probably (laughs) good times (laughs) all right so uh that wraps it up for a new segment today be sure to tweet to us or direct message us at eatmattershrn if you'd like to include a particular policy update or if you have thoughts on the ones we discussed today taylor thank you so much for walking us through those thanks Returning to the topic at hand. Today we're going to be talking about the fine chocolate industry um, with Dan Pearson. Dan is the CEO of Merignon Chocolate, uh, which is the producer and only world supplier of Pure National beans, uh, previously thought to be extinct until recently. He's also the president of the Heirloom Cacao Preservation Fund. Dan, welcome to the show. Do I have you on the line, Dan?
5: I'm here. Hi. Hi.
3: <laughs> Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Um, okay, so I have lots of questions for you, obviously, um, especially about the work that you um, are doing with your company and with the fund. But first, I th- would want to kind of set the stage and really um, paint a picture for our listeners. So can you start by telling us a little bit uh, about what cacao looks like, um, where it comes from, and, and how, it's, how it's typically grown?
5: Yes, well, it is grown around the equator, so it's, it, it requires a very hot temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, the tree, uh, pods come out of the tree itself, the trunk, or heavy limbs, and they're shaped like a small American football. You open those up, then there's usually 30 to 40 beans inside. Each bean is inside a little mucus cocoon, you taste it; it tastes wonderful.
3: Okay, that, have, yeah, that doesn't sound so. <laughs> on, you know,
5: when you ferment it and dry it, that bean hardens, and it looks like an almond with the shell on it.
3: And um, what are what are some of the typical characteristics of the plant itself? Well, um, gee, you know, it essentially looks like a tree. It has to
2: grow under shade the first two or three years, or relieve the burn the leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's
5: like any tree; the more you trim it, the bigger the it gets. The Morse production. If you don't trim it, then it gets a lot of shade, uh, and, and it creates a lot of bugs that can destroy the pod. And most trees are twenty feet tall if they're trimmed properly.
3: Uh-huh. And, uh huh.
5: And and produce maybe. Well, it produces. It takes about three months for the pod to grow from a leaf to a bud to an actual uh, to an actual bean that you can utilize to make chocolate.
3: And are they are they fairly finicky in terms of? Uh, you know the actual tree, or are they pretty hardy?
5: They're pretty hardy. I should be taking good care of, but they're pretty hardy.
3: Okay. Um. So. So. What? How does chocolate become chocolate? Can you guys give us like a quick overview, also, of the process from bean to bar? Like, what happens, um, once you harvest the uh, actual plant or the what the actual pod?
5: Yes, well, the pod, you break the pod open, you've got those 30 or 40 beans. And then you, if you're, if you're interested in flavor, then you ferment that to bring out those flavors. Mm-hmm. That takes five to eight days. And then you have to dry out on a drying table in, in the sun. Mm-hmm. That probably takes another seven or eight days. Now, it's all around the equator, and most of the people who eat chocolate don't live around the equator. So then you have to take the beans, then they have to be roasted in uh, 20, 30 to 50 minutes. And they have to be constant, that brings out the flavors, like in a big stirring pot, mm-hmm. can take as many as 40 to 60 hours. Then you've got the chocolate. Then you usually mold it into one pound bars that get shipped to people who break it down and make it into chocolate. Uh, then it becomes the, it becomes the bars and the truffles that we all love to eat.
3: Okay. Um, okay, so one of the things that I recently learned um, at the, this um, event that, that um, you did last week with the uh, Heirloom Cacao Reservation Fund is that not all chocolate, in fact, is, chocolate is not created equal. Um, can you tell us what the difference is between fine and conventional chocolate? And if there is a, an official FDA standard of identity for fine versus conventional chocolate, what, what does that definition say?
5: Well, I think the, the main thing is, is the chalk that I grew up in uh, eating, you know, the Hershey's and, and, and the Mars,
2: mm-hmm.
5: is, is an industrial produced product. Uh, you can't plantation farm these because of airborne diseases. They moved that production out of where it was originally found in Central America and Northern South America into the Ivory Coast of Africa. Labor was very cheap. They have millions of small farms. Flavor is not what they're really interested in. It goes through many middlemen. It comes to countries where they produce it, and they produce it in hundred-ton machines. They run the temperature up to take out anything that resembles flavor. Then they add artificial flavors, and that's what we eat, as known as the candy bar.
3: When so your, so your like Snickers budget. and your Hershey bars. That's that's the process for th- that kind of product.
5: And that's probably 90 to 93% of the market of chocolate that people eat. Okay. Fine chocolate is a different thing. Uh, you, you take those beans and you run them through a very complex and strict process of fermenting. That fermenting protects the flavors. Mm-hmm. When, they, when they are then sent to the producer, the producer does not use high temperatures. The industrial chocolate may be made at 400 degrees plus, which burns out all flavors. The, the fine chalk is around 220, 240 degrees, that protects those flavors. Then it is conched or stirred to bring out even more flavors. Uh, and so, in, in, in the fine flavored chalk that you are doing everything in your power to protect the natural flavors that Mother Nature put in, industrial chalk that you are just making huge amounts and relying on artificial flavors to give it its taste.
3: So, including other like uh, more sugar and other additives, um, yep. as you as you indicated. So, what is a typical percentage of cacao in a fine chocolate bar versus a um, like industrial made chocolate bar by a big big chocolate?
5: Well, the thing I think was shocking to me when I got into the chocolate business, I learned that you can in the United States call it chocolate if it has eleven percent
3: chocolate. Wow
5: all those friends of mine who are addicted to chocolate were really addicted to the 89% sugar. Yeah. Now, in fine chocolate, the percentages are usually no lower than 60%. Chocolate maybe 60 to 80 Mhm. With the health food, those percentages are getting even higher. You can taste it and you can't hide it behind artificial flavor.
3: Um okay, so so yeah, so can you tell us a little bit more about the benefits of um eating a but you know, besides the flavors of eating a um, fine chocolate bar or fine chocolate that was uh, roasted at a lower temperature
5: well the interesting thing is, is is, we are now first of all if you look at the content they have trace minerals calcium and other things that frankly you don't find in many of the plants uh, the other thing we're finding is the huge health benefits is not only does it not only does it possess all these wonderful trace minerals but it has an impact of opening the blood vessel, and so it has a very very distinct health benefits if you have a high percentage and if you haven't gone to high temperatures to tear out and remove all those
3: health benefits okay so so there there could be some health benefits. Um, I want to talk a little bit in 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 a minute um, about how we can kind of, as a consumer, differentiate between the two types, um, fine chocolate versus industrialized chocolate, if we're specifically looking for the kind of t- chocolate that has some health benefits, um, which, by the way, I've always loved to tell myself, like, this is, this is good for me. This should be, this is everybody's dream. <laughs> um, how did you, can, can you tell us how you came to work in the cacao uh, chocolate industry?
5: totally by accident, I've been doing business in Peru with my partner since 2002. We picked up a contract uh, working on tropical fruits. We ended up in a remote canyon, Marignon Canyon on the Marignon River. uh, And we opened, I saw my first cacao pot in 2007. We opened it and half the beans were white, which was a mystery to me. Uh I Googled it, I found out they were rare. We called the USDA, they they sent us leaf samples. Mm And when they came back with these with the results and the beans were like forty percent white, they said that what we had found in this canyon was a variety called Pure Nacional. It was the world's most famous chocolate. It was in Ecuador for the last five hundred years. It got wiped out by diseases between nineteen sixteen and nineteen nineteen. They brought in other varieties to try to protect it, but the pure ones were gone. Hmm. So what we find found did not exist anywhere in the world. Empty to pass up, and so we entered the chocolate business.
3: Wow, that is that is a great story. What were you What were you doing in Peru uh, to begin with?
5: Well, I went, I, we went. I went there in 2002. I, I sold a business, and I've been there in 2002 to visit a friend working at the world's largest coal mine. That was uh. Newmont. The mine was about 13,000 feet. I ended up having lunch with the maintenance director, who said. Gee, could you get me hydraulic hoses and nuts and bolts to the U.S. And of course, I said sure. Uh-huh. I had no idea what I was doing. <sighs> I came back. My sons got involved with me in the business. That led to food contracts to supply mines, which led to tropical fruits, which led us to the chocolate business.
3: Wow, and what what kind of work are you doing? Um, so, so that is the work that you're doing right now with Marignan Chocolate. Um, now, my understanding is you're you're working to uh, produce and supply this really rare uh, varietal of cacao. Is that is that correct?
5: Yes, as we do. Uh, my business partner and son lives in the canyon with the farmers. That's all that grows there. We have a nursery. We keep planting more and more of them. Mm-hmm. We, buy, we buy all they produce. We pay a 50% premium. It's better than a national treasure by, by the Ministry of agriculture oh. so we take those beans ferment them, dry them we sell beans now to uh, clients in 17 countries we have beans sent to switzerland where feldson makes them into a bulk chocolate we sell that in 12 countries so only thing we deal with is this variety it's all that grows there and we sell beans bulk we'll chocolate to, to people who then form it into bars and, and, and that's what we do that's all we do
3: all right Wow, I love that. Um, okay, so, and then, and then that is your work um, with, with Marignan, and then what, what is your role with the Heirloom Cacao Preservation, and what are this uh, organization's goals? Well,
5: well, what really happened is as, as I became involved with the Fine Chalk and Industry Association, which was founded, I think, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. When I got involved with that, one of the first people I met was Gary Guitard, and then I met a, a gentleman named Ed Shewine, they had spent their whole life in the business, and they were. the First conversation was, "We are in jeopardy of losing fine cacao," and I found out why, and that's why we started in the 2000, late 2012, the heirloom cacao preservation. The reason is, is that I told you about how all these were tiny farms mm-hmm. in in the 1960s. A research scientist able to breed and find a bean that was disease resistant. It had no flavor. But it was disease resistant. You could then plant huge plantations. You could begin industrial farming, which gave you all the economies of scale of any huge farm. No flavor, lots of fertilizer which destroyed the natural the natural earth. Uh, lots of pesticides, but big production. And now in two of the biggest producing fine chocolate beans, Peru and Ecuador, that CCN51, as it's called, is over 50% of their exports. So we are fighting to avoid the extinction of not only fine flavor, but because it is gently produced, the healthiest, most health benefits of all chocolate. That's the fight we're in. and. That's how I met you, because you were here, here to hear about, you were there to hear about our fight.
3: You bet, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a, a really quick break um, and hear a word from our sponsors, but um, keep listening, because we uh, are going to get even further into this issue uh, when we come back.
1: The following program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. Incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com.
3: Okay, and we're back on Eating Matters, where today we're speaking with Dan Pearson about the fine chocolate industry. Well, what, what is the industry's role, if any, um, in the de- declining supply of high-quality, flavorful cacao?
5: The, the, the farmers are businessmen. Uh, they've got to make a living. Uh, our whole goal is to make people aware that we are fighting extinction. They do not, they're not willing to pay more for quality and fine taste, the farmer has no choice. If the farmer doesn't make more money, if the person who makes the chocolate can't get a higher profit or profit for it, if the consumer is not willing to pay for it, then that farmer who has to make a living is motivated to tear up everything and plant a plantation of CCN 51, tasteless chocolate, sell it to big industry and increase his profits.
3: Uh, is there anything that industry is doing in particular that is contributing in a positive way to preserving certain varietals of heirloom cacao?
5: Well, that was the whole formation of the Fine Chocolate Industry Association and its partner with USDA in forming HCP.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
5: we're all volunteers. We have we, we have our first part-time employee. Uh, but before that, we're all volunteers. And willingly, nine men and women with... For 20 years, each of experience in tasting chocolate. Six countries formed an international panel. People submit beans blind. They go to Guitard. Gary Guitard makes them into chocolate, sends it all over the world. And this panel then evaluates them for taste and flavor. Mm -hmm. They give it a super high score. We label it heirloom. Those beans then go to the USDA. They do the genetics on them so that we can protect that genetic mix. Then we're reaching out, like yourself, and trying to tell our story mm-hmm. of this is what it is, and if we don't fight to save it, fine chocolate will disappear, only because the farmer has to make money, and if we don't pay him more of those beans, and if you and I aren't willing to pay more for a more healthy and flavorful bar, then we will eat artificially flavored chocolate without much health in the...
3: What about what about from like a a, a big industry perspective? I meant like, are there any of these um, big food companies who do have quite you know who have large portfolios of um, confections and and chocolates? Um, Are they doing anything to help support the type of work that you are engaged in with HCP?
5: You know, it's driven by market. It's driven by market forces. When I first got involved, I think they were in the United States, maybe 50 or 60 small chocolate makers. Mm-hmm. Like craft beer, it's grown. There maybe over 200 of them now. Right. Big chocolate looks and sees because they're business people. Mm-hmm. They look and see this segment growing. They look and see the health benefits. And now they are reacting. They weren't proactive. They're being reactive. But They're now beginning to do research to see how they may be able to put less heat to do less artificial qualities within it and bring it into being a more healthy food. In all fairness to them, they are spending dollars on research. In the past, their only interest was breeding and research for higher yield and disease resistant. Now they are reacting to what the marketplace is telling them. Mm-hmm. And they're turning into doing good things.
3: Okay, that's great. That's positive. That's a positive Um, I think if, you know, maybe, maybe it's a better late than never.
5: (laughs) Well, in all honesty, they were drug kicking and screaming there, but (laughs) most killers are drug kicking and screaming.
3: Right. Change. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, we, um, there, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of public opinion Against uh, the use of genetically modified ingredients, and we talk a lot about it on on this show. But um, as I have previously said, um, genetic modification is it's it's a simply it's a, t- a technology, and it's a, it's one in which has been used to date for a very narrow purpose. Um, Given the challenges faced by the fine chocolate industry, I'm wondering about how you and maybe some of your colleagues feel about the potential to use genetic modification for the purposes of creating a varietal that is both disease-resistant and flavorful.
5: Well, I can tell you I am not a scientist, but I know of no research being done by breeding by huge companies other than to increase yield uh, and decrease disease. I do not yet know of anybody doing that research, I hope that it would be. Our effort really is consumer
3: awareness, realize it tastes good, Mm -hmm. it's healthier for you. I don't know of
5: any research being done in that area. On any large scale by any major manufacturer,
3: but would this be something that those in the fine chocolate industry would generally be supportive of? Extremely in your opinion?
5: Supportive of it, uh, we we scream from the rooftops hoping it would happen. Okay. But again, uh, market forces, just like in the craft beer industry, market forces are facing or forcing change. Mm-hmm. That's good, and the more the consumer becomes aware the more the consumer would say, do I want that stuff? Mm-hmm. It could be 89% sugar that has been overheated and destroyed the food values. Do I really want that? Or do, am I willing to pay more for quality and healthier food? We see it happening. So does Big Chocolate. They're, they're very aware. Mm-hmm. They have billion-dollar budgets to see what the marketplace is, what the consumer wants. And so the more people like you and your show that talk about mm-hmm. this, The more they listen.
3: Well, I hope so. Um, Okay, so speaking of, uh, you know, kind of figuring out ways to avoid uh, certain chocolate that is 89% sugar, how do you know? Is this, will this be clearly um, labeled as such? Or, I mean, you know, what what is a consumer to do in order to really, you know, get to this information?
5: Well, until the last few years, you can turn over a chocolate bar and there must be, uh 30, 40, 50 ingredients.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: It says nothing about percentage. Now you're beginning to see Big Chocolate putting the percentage on the front of the bar because that's what people are looking for, is they hear, hear more about it. Mm-hmm. If you turn that label, if you look at that front, and it does not say what the percentage is, and you look at the back of the ingredients, and it does not say what the percentage is, the law allows them to put only 11% chocolate in there, you're getting some good artificial flavors and 88 to 89% chocolate. If it is a certain percentage, they will disclose it. If there's no disclosure, you're eating a lot of sugar that looks brown.
3: Okay. That does not sound very good. Um, well, uh, I mean, is there in your uh, experience a lot of greenwashing and, and some kind of false uh, or misleading labeling claims Um you know, that that the fine chocolate industry has to contend with?
5: Well, you know, uh, locks were invented to keep honest people honest. <laughs> uh, I probably am too much of an insider that I know some people who do cheat, <laughs> um, but I don't run around. My, my goal is not to run around and, and be nasty about them. But in all fairness, those people who get into the fine chocolate industry <laughs> are bucking they want to produce quality that has fine flavor and that has fine, better health benefits. I frankly have not met anyone in the fine-socket industry that isn't the most passionate people about what they're doing, and they want to do it right. Mm-hmm. You know, it does, does, do big industries have a conscience? Usually when it's forced upon them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's what regulation is for? <laughs>
5: well, I, I haven't found it to be otherwise, but I'm, I'm not that I would. That, that that hypocritical, or I, mean, I don't want to be that cynical. That much of a bang the door against big guys. Yeah, their motivation is on, their motivation is only profit, as a rule. Okay, purpose so of business is to make a profit. The purpose of charity. Purpose of charity is to give your time and money in the service of others. Boards of directors and shareholders are usually looking for the former, which is profit.
3: So, so in order to kind of avoid some of these greenwashing claims that um, some might be prone to putting on their labels, w- you recommend really turning over the package and looking to see the percentage of cacao in a particular chocolate product. Is that correct?
5: Well, you really need to, and, and quite honestly, if people, if people are going to put the actual percentage, they will put it in huge letters on the front because the consumer is looking for that they're becoming very aware of the health benefits when you see no percentage on the front I assure you you will see no percentage on the back
3: mm-hmm. okay okay um, so any other advice uh, for a consumer it seems like you've talked a lot about the price point is that um, something that you would you would reiterate the need to, to spend more I,
5: you know what it is if you want a fine bottle of wine you if you want fine a uh, piece of steak or fish, you will pay more. We don't expect the consumer to eat expensive everything every day. Mm-hmm. If your goal is quality and flavor and taste and the highest health benefits, then you have to take some out of your budget that you spend on else, elsewhere and, and buy fine chocolate. And you find one thing about fine chocolate. You pick up one of those 89% sugar bars, and eat it all instantly. I've learned in chocolate, it helped me lose about 15 pounds, to taste instead of just eat. If you taste fine chocolate, it's so rich and flavorful, you'll take a few bites and you'll save the bar for later. I never had that situation when I was eating commercial, chocolate-laden, chocolate, I just eat it all.
3: I, unfortunately, am not there yet. I think I I ate um, all of the the chocolate samples that um, we were given last week at the uh, HCP event very quickly. So, um, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully. I've met you
5: in person, and so you don't have the same calorie intake issue that I do, it appears to me.
3: I don't, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wish um, I'm like a little bit um, too much of a gourmand, I think. But anyways, at any rate, I really, really could taste the difference. It was striking. Um, it was striking to me how, how delicious and how much of the different kind of flavor profiles I picked was able to sort of pick up um, in eating very, very fine chocolate last week. So I think I'm going to have to leave it there for our um, discussion on cacao. Uh, but before I wrap up, Jen, can you um, give tell our listeners where to go for more information on um, your company, uh, as well as the work that you're doing at HCP?
5: Well on, on my company it's M A R A N O N Chocolate dot com. H C P it's H C P dot
4: All right.
3: Well be you be sure to go to those two sites for more information. Dan, thank you so very much for coming on the show and speaking with us today.
5: My pleasure, thank you.
3: Great, thank you. Okay, that's right. You guys heard it. It's time for our new segment, the startup of the week, where we feature an innovative and exciting new food organization or company at the end of each episode. And with that, I'm pleased to introduce Franklin Becker, co founder and head of culinary at Hungry Root, a vegetable based health focused packaged food company operating in New York City. Franklin, welcome to the show.
6: Uh, thanks for having me, Jenna.
3: We're very—I'm very excited you can join us. Um, so, can you t- tell uh, tell me about Hungry Root?
6: Sure. So, Hungry Root was originally um, an e-commerce. Well, it is an e-commerce based company mm-hmm. uh, selling fresh vegetable based uh, packaged foods, uh, meals, sides, sweet snacks, and they're already in under seven minutes. Uh, we did just, the reason why I said we were originally is because we did just um, get invited to to um, put our products into Whole Foods. Wow. Fresh Direct and Amazon Fresh. So uh, we'll be in a Whole Foods near you very soon.
3: Well, congratulations. That must be a huge. Thank you. Um a huge accomplishment. Um, so, can you? So, what? What do you mean by um, like a like a vegetable based uh, food? Can you give us some examples of the types of products that you sell?
6: Sure. Well, I mean, our mission is to change people's perceptions of vegetables mm-hmm. and make the vegetables feel indulgent and craveable. Um, so, last year we launched um, with a line of vegetable noodles. Okay. And we realized we realized pretty quickly that. The concept of putting vegetables at the forefront applies to many categories of food. So we went on to create sweets um, like chickpea cookie dough, and then we added sides like cauliflower couscous and so on and so forth. So uh, at this point, we have about 28 different uh, items, Mm -hmm. and we're expanding. We're expanding. We actually have about another... Uh, 12 or 13 of them coming out very shortly
3: oh wow chickpea cookie dough that is something i don't hear of every day
6: <laughs> That's... well you know chickpeas are protein mm-hmm. and and almonds are, are you know a protein and a healthy fat so you know when you combine them together it's it's, it's just very very flavorful think of um think of a tahini or, or of a hummus right um you know and and think of the thickness of that and you add some chocolate chips to it and it's just fantastic. It's been very, very well received.
3: Oh great. Oh that's wonderful. How did you get into this business? And and um, you know, what 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 did you do before you started this company?
6: So, you know, I, I've been a chef as far as I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think I came out of my mother's womb as a chef. <laughs> um, but um, I have been cooking forever and I've I've run a number of uh, upscale restaurants and um, you know really cut my teeth In fine dining mm-hmm. And then uh, A few years ago I created a concept Called Little Beat mm-hmm. uh, Which is a fast casual restaurant Yes And um, then Little Beat Table And my partners One of my investors from, from uh, M Group when I was at Aben Authors and Lexington Brass And Catch uh, Approached me with this idea Of um, of doing a product line And, and um, Myself and, and my partners, Ben and, and Greg at the time, uh, came together and we created Roots. Wow. That's,
3: that's, uh, that's amazing. And, and when was the company founded? And how big are you now? How big is the company now? Sure.
6: Sure. So we uh, launched in April of uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. And at the time we were only available via e-commerce mm-hmm. and only available on the East Coast. And now we ship to the entire continental U.S. Uh, and like I said before, we expanded into retail, Whole Foods, Amazon Fresh, Fresh Direct. Um, we've been growing steadily, and we're focused on continued growth.
3: That's, uh, that seems like I'm not necessarily you know, a growth expert in the startup field, but that seems like you've experienced um, pretty rapid growth. Uh, Over the past year
6: It's been fantastic And you know I was talking about uh, A couple of the new products We're going to do Uh huh Um, We have a We created a beet yogurt Um, We created a Cauliflower salad That almost tastes like A Caesar salad Wow Um, And we just You know Just keep on growing It's really It's You know, it's all about vegetables and all about incorporating healthy fats
3: into the diet. I love the idea that you started with, you know, vegetables in the center of the plate for maybe uh, like a a dinner or a lunch, and you're starting to kind of bring in other um, options for snacks and breakfast, because that's, I mean, that's something I haven't seen um, done so far. So to me, that's very innovative um, and and very unique about some of the things you're doing. Um, Okay, so every... Oh no! Sorry, the one.
6: route would be more of like a lifestyle. It's it's not just a packaged food product, right? Um, and you know, I think that's really important to kind of emphasize. Um, you know, we want healthy, vegetable-based foods, uh, craveable, indulgent, exciting, um, just really good stuff.
3: And every package is under 500 calories. Is that, is that correct?
6: That is correct. And um, in addition to that. They're all ready to eat in under seven minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're also all gluten free. They're all vegan. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's. it's, They're all vegan. Wow. it's, it's, It's really good.
3: I, I Wow. Okay. All right. Um, and then do you have any other kind of commitments um, in addition to the calorie cap on, you know, in terms of like nutrient content in terms, like, you know, for instance, is there, do you have a, a certain threshold of sodium or maybe some sustainable sourcing commitments?
6: Yeah. I mean, we try to keep everything very healthy and very balanced. Mm-hmm. We, we try to keep foods low sodium um, we try to keep them low on sugar, and if we do incorporate sugar, it's generally speaking. We have a couple of items that have organic cane sugar, but we're in the process of uh, switching those over. Mm-hmm. But most of our products have maple or date as sweeteners wow. or coconut sugar.
3: Yep. Wow. Will you be seeking a B Corp uh, status? This seems to be fairly mission, very mission-driven company.
6: Um. We don't know yet. We probably will be, but um, uh, that's really more of a question that my partner can answer.
3: To be to be determined at a, at a later date. It sounds like you have a, your yeah. hands full already with <laughs> with many, many products and um, expansion. I mean,
6: we're in a, you know, we're in an exciting phase right now. I mean, we, we raised um, our Series A earlier in the year.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, we're building an infrastructure to enable us to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're entering growth mode and and throughout the country, you know, we're excited to introduce Hungry Root uh, to, to people.
3: All right. Well, I am um, so happy to have had the opportunity to feature um, you and your company on the show today. We're going to leave it there. But, Franklin, thank you so much for joining. Oh, and you know what? Can you actually remind our listeners where they can find your products at um, right now?
6: Sure, sure. So, um you can find your pro- you can find the products directly at hungryroot.com okay and then you can also find it at Amazon fresh and um, uh, as well as uh, fresh direct mm-hmm. and then uh, in the Whole Foods in the greater Boston area and we're expanding into we're actually putting our cookie dough and another unique product we have which is called the black bean brownie uh we're putting those into Williamsburg for the launch of the Williamsburg
3: store. Uh, the Williamsburg Whole Foods, the Whole Foods store. Um, I'm sorry? The Williamsburg Whole Foods store. Yes. Yes,
4: Correct.
3: which I am incredibly excited about. Um, uh, the, as a resident of the Williamsburg Greenpoint area, I've been eagerly awaiting uh, that particular store. And I will certainly personally, you know, you'll have, you'll have a customer, um, looking for hunger products as soon as it opens.
6: (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks
3: Franklin. Thank you for coming on the show.
6: Okay, thank you for having me.
3: Thank you so much to all of our guests today and to our sponsor, Route 11, for your generous support. Uh, Our show is produced with help from Taylor Lanzett and show music is by Tim Archer. Thank you to our engineer, uh, David Tadashore and uh, Pierre bien All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. Like, share, follow, and post to us on Facebook, and find us on Twitter at EatMattersHRN. I'm Jenna Liute and thank you for listening.